Welcome to the Apologies Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Whistle-Fenton. I created this podcast to promote collective healing and repair. Each episode, I invite my guests to share an apology that they've been carrying. The only rule is that it has to be for a person they are no longer in contact with. My dream is that at least some of these apologies might actually reach their intended recipients. I also hope this podcast reinforces the idea that as different as we may seem, we're all just people and we all carry stuff. So with each guest, we'll first spend some time just learning who and how they are before hearing their apology. Today, we'll be talking with Sergei Zavatsky, an active member of Rotary International. He's held numerous leadership positions in the organization, including club president and district governor. Sergei is currently involved in humanitarian efforts to help the people of Ukraine as they suffer through the invasion from Russia. Sergei and I first met in 2012 when I traveled to Ukraine as part of Rotary International's Group Study Exchange Program. Sergei, welcome to the Apologies Podcast. Thank you, Lindsay. Nice to be with you. Before this interview, I was looking back through some pictures from my trip to Ukraine, and you were one of my hosts, and one of my favorite pictures from that program is a photo of you and I toasting at the river cruise where we celebrated our teams last night in the country. That was in, I think, March of 2012. A lot has happened since then. So let me just start with, how are you, my friend? I, I would like to say, I would love to say I'm happy, but I'm not because of the situation in my country. That makes perfect sense. Before we get into the work you're doing through Rotary for the people of Ukraine, I myself would love to just learn more and then also share with our listeners just a little bit about who you are as a person. So your story, where you grew up, your family, what you do for work, where you're living now, just anything you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, I was born in Ukraine in the middle of the country. I grew up in that place. Uh, now it is called Kamenske because uh, during the last uh, 30 years, many cities and towns have changed their names to the previous version. We call this a program of decommunization. And then I spent about 20 years in Western, uh, very nice, very interesting city, Ivano-Frankivsk, which is in the Western Ukraine. And uh, I finished school there. I married there. My children born there. So I love this city because it was so significant in my life. Mm. And then in, uh, in 1994, we moved to Kiev. And since then, uh, me and my family, we live in Kiev. My first uh, major profession was mechanical engineer. In 1992, after the split of USSR, Ukraine became independent. And uh, many people started their businesses. And I started to think about additional studying. And uh, I was happy to join International Management Institute Kiev. This was really a big milestone in my life. This study changed a lot in my understanding of many things. And I joined American company DuPont, uh, started as a marketing assistant, and finished as a country manager for the whole Ukraine with a team of about 30 people. Then uh, in uh, 2006, I decided that I will go for some independent work, and I continued as independent business consultant. And this is what I'm 
in partially doing until now. This might be an odd thing to ask now, given the situation, but what do you do for fun? What do you enjoy doing or did you enjoy doing when life was a little more normal? I always enjoyed traveling. It was interesting for me to go myself and with family to visit different castles in uh, Europe. And Europe are rich on this historical buildings, and it was very interesting for me. So let's say history, historical traveling, and uh, travel in general uh, is one of what I, I like to do, and also to sail. I love to go to for sailing when I have the opportunity to do so. You mentioned history, and you know, right now Ukraine is obviously in the news all the time, and we hear so much about it, but... You know, growing up in the U.S., I have to say we weren't really taught a lot about Ukrainian history. So what would you like people to know or hope people would know about Ukraine, about your country? First of all, I would uh, love if all uh, people will have the chance to visit my country and to see how nice it is. I hope uh, you've seen it. In, mm-hmm. in different, it's beautiful. different locations and it's really a pity now that it is not secure and safe coming here I would love that this uh, war will finish as soon as possible uh, but definitely we cannot compromise with uh, freedom and independence so this is something we will never give up but now I think that important to know that Ukraine is a separate independent country with a long, long history. And uh, through all these centuries and thousands of years, we had uh, many nations coming here, some stayed here, incorporated, and became part of, of Ukrainian population here. And uh, we, we have uh, so diverse things within Ukraine, quite a big country, very comparable to such big like Germany or France or UK. But uh, talking about Ukraine, uh, we have our own uh, roots in history. They are long. They are coming back to thousands of years. We have here churches of uh, 1,000 year old. Uh, they are still there. And uh, people can come and see. And I invite them to come. When we will win and when it will be peace in Ukraine. Was this invasion something you ever thought would happen? Uh, very good question. You see, with all the warnings that it will happen a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, I still was not believing until the last day that it will really happen. Because it was so crazy to think about war in our territory between uh, so uh, officially close nations and officially brothers and sisters. And uh, what I know now was not known to me 30 years ago. I mean, the history of Ukraine unveiled as it is real only during the last 20, 30 years. And before, our historical books were written by empire. And uh, uh, official history that we are one big uh, nation consisting of uh, United Nations of Soviet Union or now they call it Russian, Ruski Narod. <laughs> uh, but it is not true. It was artificial. This is a point. And uh, we uh, got this knowledge 
after the split of the USSR and when step by step we started to read other books than we were <laughs> told to read before and so on. And what I want to say is that my opinion about our neighbors changed a lot mm. because um, when I was, uh, uh, as I remember in Soviet Union, it was a feeling, I mean, it was, how to say, the effect of uh, education, propaganda, it was so ruled by the narratives of whatever you call it, Russian Empire or Soviet Union. In any way, it was empire. And then as soon as we started to be split by, by the occasion that it, it happened, the split, it came ability to know more relevant information. And it started to clear that we are different, very different. <laughs> and, and now I don't understand if they were saying that uh, we are brothers, why brothers are fighting against us? And they came to take our land back. For what? Ukraine is enough for Ukrainians. We don't need anything to add. But they continue to think that they need to add something. They're missing something. And uh, this is creates this conflict uh, from their side, not from ours. Are there days when, I don't want to say you ever... Not you forget the war, but I guess what I mean. I don't think about what's happening around. Not that you don't think about it, but it just seems not. I guess I I think this all the time when I'm hearing reporting on Ukraine is like I I've never lived in a war zone, and it and it um. Then I hear of people just going about daily life and people still going to work, but as this fighting is happening, so. I just have a hard time understanding how you live your life as this is happening, but I know you do. When it started, it was really a shock. I remember well the first night. Actually, it was morning, early morning, when it uh, we were waked up with the bombs and shells. And um, for me, it was clear that the war started. And because some of the people, they still were not understanding what is happening. And uh, as soon as I got it, uh, for me, it was clear that uh, we need to take care first about children, grandchildren. And uh, we quickly consulted with my sons and uh, together with my wife. We have taken four grandchildren. And with the car, we went to the Western Ukraine to get out because it was clear that uh, they are attacking Kiev. It was clear that they will try to occupy it. And we wanted just to get smallest out of the zone now. And definitely everybody was in fear. All all of us were, were in fear. We do, didn't know what will happen. And uh, uh, slowly, day by day, when uh, fear was stand and uh, the Russian troops uh, went back from Kiev, the understanding came that it will not be defeat, that we will win. And, uh, I mean, that we can win. And, uh, and we will. Uh, now it's a belief. But, uh, it came slowly day by day. We were feeling that our army is strong enough to withstand all this aggression, very intense aggression. But, uh, day by day, we, at least me, are used to it. In the sense that we are not. I remember when we went to the Western Ukraine, the first days, we were running to shelter after every alarm. Then slowly, 
we started okay we see that uh, okay it's risky but uh, most of the kids are not in this city so we decided that we stay just we make sure that there are two walls between the outside and the and the place we stay and then uh, it, it become part of uh, day to day if it happens every day you are started to get used to it unfortunately that should never be anything anybody has to get used to. And I'm sorry that that's what it's come to. I want to talk a bit about the work you've been doing. I mean, definitely since the invasion, but also predating that, just going back a little bit to your involvement with Rotary. So can you tell us about your background with Rotary and how you came to be a Rotarian? I have been to some Rotary clubs during my business school. And uh, for me, it was clear that it is a uh, very important and uh, powerful organization to which it is not very easy to get in. <laughs> it was like some some time later, and it happened later. So in uh, in year 2000, my uh, colleagues from my job invited me to a Rotary Club meeting in Kiev, and they proposed me, why not you join uh, our club? And uh, it started like that, and uh, slowly it became part of my life, and I liked it more and more. I was uh, less and less active in my job uh, with years and uh, was able to spend more time for Rotary. And uh, my, now my, my full-time job is Rotary and all the rest of business is just uh, my hobby, I would say. Um, yeah, it occupied a big part of my life. I established a lot of contacts. I, I like very much Rotary for... A possibility to make easy contacts with other people in different countries, even to make something good for other people together. This is also a very good opportunity because you can do charity by your own, no problem. But uh, Rotary allows you to do charity together and to stay in a club. And the club is a club of friends. And uh, this is another good part of Rotary that uh, it's not only charity, it's also friendship. We support each other as much as we can, and we help people. We help others who need this help. I like it very much. And I must say that it helped me a lot to find a better balance in the situation uh, we are now. Uh, Because from the very first day, we started to react. We started to react very actively. And uh, we would not be able to react as much as we do uh, without help of authoritarians from many countries, including the USA. Before we hear more about your efforts, I also just want to clarify, I I always assume people know what Rotary is, but if you're listening and you're not sure, we're talking about Rotary International. It's one of the biggest service organizations in the world. And as Sergi was saying, it's based in service. And there's a big international component, hence how Sergi and I got to meet for the first time. So just to give that background for anyone who's not quite sure. So now going back to, Sergi, what you were saying about being able to respond quicker to crises because of Rotary and the network of Rotarians throughout the world, I would love to hear more about what that response has looked like. Yeah, now looking back for the whole year, I would never even believe that we would be able to do a lot of what what was done, really. Uh, The first days, we started to create uh, some structures. We understood that, first of all, we needed to be able to get funds 
to purchase something and then to deliver to people who need it. So our um, Rotary in Ukraine, we opened uh, special accounts in different currencies to be able to get funds. Also, Rotary International has opened uh, a special disaster response fund to help Ukraine. And uh, these both ways, we were asking to help us here, and uh, Rotary International was asking international account. In this way, it helped us to react from the first day. During the first week, we already received some funds, uh, and we started to receive some goods. But to receive goods, it was necessary to do some preparation. We needed to establish some uh, places to store where we can take this, unpack, repack, and then send to those who need it. And uh, these, uh, we call them now Rotary Hubs. We have them in the western part of the country and then in the middle of the country. And uh, this work to create this structure allowed us to be able to get funds, allowed us to be able to get goods. And uh, in addition, important to mention that uh, in March last year and uh, April last year, in two months, uh, Rotary International collected $15 million to help Ukraine. And this is just funds. And we were getting much more in uh, trucks of different goods, uh, mattresses, blankets, uh, different food, uh, generators, uh, many, many things through the year, really. We felt from the very first day and until now that other Rotarians, other, other nations stand with us support us. And this was very important for us. It was really giving us the energy and also the resources to help people. And help was really needed. If you followed the news, really, there were many, many people who lost their, some lost their life, but some were injured very severely and they needed medical support and still need it every day. Uh, some lost their houses, their homes. They have uh, lost their belongings. And uh, they needed a lot of humanitarian support. I just can uh, can give uh, you an example of one of the biggest uh, projects which was in my life so far, and we still continue it. When uh, all this work started, we wanted to help people who lost their homes, and uh, we decided to take uh, one very heroic village near Kiev. By that time, it was already occupied, but because it was uh, the place which was uh, under fights for about a month, continuous fights. It was uh, tens of thousands of shells and uh, rockets landed on this very small village. They had about 2,000 people living in this in this little village. Uh, fortunately, army evacuated all the people before the real big fight started there. Uh, there were a few killed, but not, not a lot. And for, for fortunately, not a lot. Uh, most were evacuated, but about 70 to 80 percent of houses were completely destroyed, just uh, nothing, or just walls without anything in. And uh, when I was uh, first time there at the end of May, I saw like it was an apocalyptic picture, really. Very few people, everything ruined, uh, unbelievable. So our decision was that we understand that in few months this will be winter. And uh, without something where to live, people will not survive here. They would need to flee somewhere. So what we decided, we will put modular small houses 
like six meter by two and a half. I don't know in foot how this will be. It will be like like a like a container if you, if you imagine like she container approximately the size. And uh, we decided that we will not make a camp out of these modules. We will put each module at the land of each family. It will make it quicker because uh, easy to connect because it was a connection to the grid. It was a connection to water somewhere. Everybody had a, a will and so on. So we organized this like this and we started to collect funds and we even found locally manufacturer. So it uh, provide this project provided the job for more than a hundred people to, to produce these things. And uh, we started to collect funds and uh, install these modular homes for inhabitants of this village. Village is called Moshun. It is really heroic. It was a battle for Kiev, but a battle for Moshun was the key point, and that's why it was it suffered so much. So starting from June until now, we have installed 100 modular homes for 100 families. So about 300 people were able to survive during the winter. And it's really amazing to see how this village is uh, reestablished itself. It's uh, returning life again. Uh, it's uh, really, I'm happy that uh, we were followed um, by other non-governmental organizations and uh, all together we practically uh, delivered most of these modular homes needed for this particular village. And uh, now we can say it will survive and it will rebuild, it will uh, recover. Yeah, recover. Recovery is a good word for that, yes. It's not the only village, definitely it is difficult for us to help all people, but we created a good model how to recover such villages, which, which we have unfortunately many in Ukraine now. getting near the end of our time so this is our time for apologies sergi what apology do you have that you would like to share you know uh during my study in uh, business school i had the chance to be to the usa for seven weeks and within these seven weeks we were to the university of delaware in the campus but then we had a kind of a uh, internship Everybody in different uh, location. And I was staying with a family uh, near Philadelphia. And I would like to apologize that unfortunately, um, I got uh, was so busy that I haven't found time to say thank you to them. To many thanks. And I would love to find their contact somehow to say thank you. By, by the way, they have Ukrainian roots. And... Uh, uh, I don't know what they're doing, how they are now, but uh, uh, in any way, I'd like to apologize for such a long time. I have not found the, the time to thank, to thank them. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And um, I'm about to break the rules of my own podcast. I usually only let people apologize to people they're not in contact with, but I want to apologize to you, Sergi, and to all my friends in Ukraine. I, I want to apologize for my silence, for not reaching out sooner and more. 
I, I think of you all the time uh, and I don't know why that hasn't translated into communication. I, I think I, I don't know, maybe I just don't know what to say. Um, so I, I feel a lot of shame around that as I talk to you right now. And also that I haven't done more, you know, I think, I think maybe I gave a donation or two early on, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I haven't done better, but I just want you to know I'm, I'm so sorry. And I do think of you and I do worry about you all the time. Thank you, Lindsay. Don't worry. It's never late to do good things. <laughs> just uh, decide and do, and we will be really thankful for anything you can, you can do to help. In the name of doing better, what can I and others listening who are outside of Ukraine but want to do something for the Ukrainian people, how can we be most helpful? What are what are some of the things you would love to see help with? I just want to say that uh, I know that there are many projects running in, in Ukraine and uh, many of them are supported from the USA. For example, we have... Uh, our my club, my Rotary Club member, Pamela, uh, she has her, her school friend from her school time. Uh, she's in the USA. But uh, what she did, she started to fundraise. Maybe she was doing this before. Maybe she's used to that. And uh, she started to send boxes with different uh, humanitarian aid, medicines, uh, uh, some specific stuff for, for people, warm clothing and so on. Uh, I'm not saying that it is what you should do, but uh, at least some fundraising for whatever could be the, we can provide you some goals for fundraising. Like uh, in this village, I told you right now, we, we need to, we just installed the platform houses. We installed the medical center, also modular type, temporary, but it helps already people to get some medical service. We also would like to have a kindergarten. There's no kindergarten in this village. So this could be a good target for to help to, to these particular people. You can start with this. Is there a way to contribute directly to the project you're working on? Maybe through Rotary Foundation or a way to give directly to your club? Yeah, it's uh, if if you want uh, just to help via Rotary International to help Ukraine now exists. If you go to Rotary Org, Rotary .org, and you go to donate. It will be several options for you. And one of them is uh, Ukrainian Disaster Response Fund. You can find there and you can uh, donate whatever you whatever you can. But if you want to do something concrete, we can uh, provide you some details. We have uh, my Rotary Club, our district uh, Rotary in Ukraine, and uh, we can direct it to concrete project that you will know where it will go and what, whom, whom it will help. Thank you, Sergi, so much for being here and sharing yourself and your apology and for your grace to me. Thank you, Lindsay. Was, I was really happy to talk to you today. That was Sergi Zavatsky. He's a Rotarian and humanitarian based in Kiev, Ukraine. To learn more about his work and how you can support it, visit apologies-podcast.com. I'm Lindsay Whistle-Fenton. Thank you for being here for this episode of the Apologies Podcast. If you haven't already yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast 
And then if you want to go an extra mile, it would be so helpful if you would rate and review this series on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts because of the algorithms and all the things. It helps other people find the podcast, which gives us a bigger pool of connections to make as we embark on this journey of healing. The Apologies Podcast is a production of Empathic Media, LLC. It's hosted, produced, and edited by me, Lindsay Whistle-Fenton, with music by Taizo Audio. If you have an apology you'd like to share, and you'd like to be considered to be a guest on the Apologies Podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out by going to apologies-podcast.com slash contact.